Good afternoon, good evening, whenever or wherever in the world you're tuning in from. My name is David Nash and you're listening to the official UNFD podcast where together we're celebrating 10 years of the biggest and most revered heavy music label in Australia by diving deep into the stories behind just some of the records that made UNFD what it is today. In case you haven't already seen the announcement, over the next few months, the legends at UNFD are re-releasing a series of classic records from their back catalogue on limited edition collector's vinyl. The slate kicks off with a massive one-two punch of pummeling riffs, an imperative social commentary courtesy of In Heart's Wake, with their double album epic, Earthwalker and Skydancer. The double LP pressing lands on Earth Day, which is April 22nd, and like all the records in this series, it's being pressed on the same revolutionary, environmentally friendly vinyl that In Heart's Wake pioneered down under with their 2020 album, Kali Yuga. UNFD are over the moon to be presenting Earthwalker and Skydancer in this new way, true to ethos In Heart's Wake have always employed. But what about the albums themselves? What is it about Earthwalker and Skydancer that's made them such crucial inclusions in the UNFD catalogue? Well, before we jump into that, let's head back to the halcyon days of Byron Bay, circa 2006, where the five blokes behind in Hearts Wake were all counting down the minutes till their 10th grade science classes wrapped up so they could jam out to Syosin covers in their parents' garages. Yes, before it was the metalcore mecca spurring pits of plenty across the globe, In Hearts Wake was the rough and rugged outlet for a wide-eyed Jake Taylor's searing teen angst alongside his best mates Evan Dole on lead guitars, Ben Nan on rhythm, Jack Deacon on bass, and Jake West on drums. It was April 2007 when they put out their self-recorded debut EP, Into the Storm, which was, well, it was about what you'd expect from a bunch of 16-year-olds who just discovered heavy metal. But within a matter of months, the In Hearts Wake that we'd all grown to know and love had started to take shape. They roped in a new drummer, chiseled out a harder, faster, more rhythmic sound, and set their sights on the stratosphere. Before they were old enough to crack a beer, they were getting down to business with legendary producers James Lyle and Daniel Castleman and quickly whipped up their breakout EP, The Gateway. With their determination unrivaled and ferociously keen to get the word out, In Hearts Wake headed out, taking any opportunities they could to shred their hearts out and get a good pit raging even if it was just to a handful of their schoolmates at the local PCYC. But it wasn't long until they caught the eye of fellow locals, Parkway Drive, who at the time had just established themselves as Australia's premier metalcore exports with their monolithic Horizons album. Every band worth their breakdowns wanted to open for Parkway, and luckily enough for In Heart's Wake, The kids' ambitious beats and powerful pro-environmental message made them a surefire shoo-in. Fast forward just a little bit longer, throw in a split EP with Sydney's hardcore heroes The Bride, who you might know better today as Hellions, and In Heart's Wake were basically Australia's worst kept secret in the metalcore scene. When they brought on board new bassist and clean vocalist Kyle Eric in 2011... They'd officially locked down the formula 
that would take them to the moon. The band caught the attention of UNFD in early 2012, bringing us to their visionary debut full-length, Divination. Keen to really set themselves apart from any other band in their class, In Heart's Wake approached the album with an ambitious concept. Each of the 12 tracks represents one of the major arcana tarot cards, with the subject matter of the song reflecting the meaning of the card it's based on. The narrative was an easy one for Screamer Jake to dig his heels into as his mum actually worked as a professional tarot reader in the hills of Byron Bay. In fact, when he spoke to Kill Your Stereo about the album, he explained, Her divinatory practice is always carried out with love and good intention. It provided me with the inspiration to transform this idea into a conceptual album dedicated to her. So when Divination proved to be a massive success for In Heart's Wake, peaking at number 27 on the ARIA charts, and taking them on a whirlwind stint of sold-out shows all around the world, they decided to up the ante, brewing up a concept that revolved around larger and more powerful worldly themes. And much like he did with Divination, Jake looked to his family and his upbringing for the inspiration that would lead to Earthwalker and Skydancer. Both of the records absolutely rip on their own accord, but combined, they form a thick fast, mosh-ready beast spearheading a message of environmentalism, self-acceptance, empathy, and fortitude in a way that before its existence, most of us couldn't really have envisioned paying off in the way this project does. Each album is named for what Jake considers to be specific energies that every person embodies in their own way. The Earthwalker as the Divine Feminine and the Sky Dancer as the divine masculine. That duality and those energies are characterized physically as the Mother Earth and the Father Sky. It ties closely into the Native American heritage that exists in Jake's family, but it's a universal concept. In Maori culture, for example, there's the Earth Mother Papatunuku. Papatunuku. The Earth Mother Papatunuku. And the Sky Father Ranganui, Skyfather Ranganui, the primordial parents of the world's creation in Maori mythology. And I mean no disrespect to Maori people if I have mispronounced those names. To give these albums a more human element, the band made those two figures, the Mother Earth and Father Sky, the primary visual element of the duality project. The artwork for both albums was designed by Sydney artist Aaron Haywood, who worked closely within Heart's Wake to ensure that the aesthetic was not only bold and drew in the immediate attention of a potential listener, but also reflected the themes of Earthwalker and Skydancer on an incredibly intricate level, right down to the colour palette and the way both pieces of the artwork connect to each other. Earthwalker's release on May 2nd, 2014, was the day the world changed permanently for In Heart's Wake. Fans rallied around the album like school kids around a home ice cream truck in the summer. The first stack of vinyl pressing sold out in the blink of an eye. Servers took a beating as fans flurried to download it as soon as it launched. And defying the odds, really, in an age of bubblegum pop supremacy where album sales are supposedly non-existent, In Heart's Wake annihilated the charts. With exactly one year 
separating the release dates between Earthwalker and Skydancer. The touring cycle for the former was all kinds of insane. There wasn't a day that went by where Inhart's Wake weren't either tearing shit up on stage, completing record store signings, or filling their press schedule with chats with the world's most prestigious publications. It all came to a head at the inaugural Unify Gathering in Jan 2015, and after smashing their primetime spot, the hype around Earthwalker had only amplified, but little did their legions of fans know they were about to get a whole nother serving of wall-to-wall insanity. Because in case you weren't around to experience the chaos yourself, Skydancer was kept under wraps until just two months before it came out. So naturally, once they pulled back the covers, all hell broke loose. From there came one of the biggest leaps in stature any band in recent memory had taken. Not only were In Hearts Wake suddenly headlining venues with four-digit capacities, They were doing it with support acts that just a year prior, they'd be clamoring to open for themselves. But they were selling out venues they'd always dreamed of playing, like Sydney's 2,200 capacity roundhouse, for example. They even ticked off the kind of bucket list item that Jake would have laughed in your face at had you told him it would happen when he formed In Hearts Wake at 16. Of course, I'm talking about the epic arena tour alongside the one and only Slipknot in the later months of 2016. Let that sink in. We fast forward to 2021, and Earthwalker and Skydancer remain some of the most important records in metalcore history, staples of any UNFD fan's record collection, and a chapter of the In Hearts Wake story that Jake and his bandmates won't soon forget. The band have released two albums since the Duality Project, 2017's Ark and 2020's Kali Yuga. And as it turns out, although Earthwalker and Skydancer exist together as one complete self-contained package, the records did have enough of an impact on In Heart's Wake that their experiences making and living in the world of those albums informed how its two successes came to be. It all sounds so exciting and lively, but trust us when we say the making of Earthwalker and Skydancer was anything but a walk in the park. Not only did the whole thing come together on a breakneck paced schedule, but it happened in the midst of a brutal winter being snowed in at the studio, a member winding up MIA when they were supposed to start recording, and even coming head to head with The Elements a week before Skydancer was set to hit the shelves with the entire release plan threatening to be derailed by brutal storms in New South Wales. There is some truly insane stuff we have to explore here. And at the end of this podcast, I promise you, you will never listen to the Earthwalker or Skydancer albums the same way. And joining me to talk about them are two of the people that we should thank for bringing us one of the most unbelievable true stories behind any album or albums in heavy music history. Guys, why don't you introduce yourselves? Jake Taylor from In Hearts Wake. And I'm Luke Logerman from UNFD. A last minute inclusion to the podcast. Luke, thank you for joining us today. No worries. Uh, yeah, Jake and I got together and we were trying to remember 2014 and 15 and everything we were doing. And, uh, and we ended up coming up with this idea that we might uh, jump on this one together. Jake, it'd be great to learn five things about the duality that... We didn't already know. And I guess where we should begin 
is the idea of releasing a double album. Can you take us back to where that decision or where that idea was born? Oh. Yeah, so Luke and I were taking a trip down the, well, back down the yellow brick road and really digging up these, these old gems that like just, what is it now? It's six, seven years ago, Luke. Yeah. And uh, where it all began. Uh, look, I, I, I always just, the way Inner Hearts Wake has grown, we've always sort of never done anything easy. We've always looked for the, uh, the things that, uh, you know, the rooms that have less people in them, so to speak. We always want to try and do different things and it's, it's often a challenge to pull off. And I think, I, I mean, I was really fascinated by uh, how the Lord of the Rings movies, if you go back, like how they were able, Peter Jackson was able to shoot all three Lord of the Rings movies and then like edit them one at a time to release them. And just the feat that that was, but what it did was it, it, it captured like the, the, the energy of all the characters as they were in it without having to like send them back to the real world and then bring them back in for the next movie. And so they got this beautiful timeline where you really feel like you're on a journey. I mean, it would have sucked if they got the first movie wrong because then they would have had three movies that were all crap. But luckily, they, uh, they got it right and you just wanted more, more of it. So you're saying similar to The Lord of the Rings, you made these songs, more than 20 songs prior to when they were printed onto these albums yeah so we we came into the studio with about 16 17 tracks and uh i had this vision as we were writing these tracks let's like let's see if we can create a big like body of work here that encapsulates these two divine energies and then you know release them like you know a year apart basically do them both in secret and release them without knowing that the other part's coming and so I feel like Lord of the Rings and just the way they're able to, and it wasn't a secret, but just how they're able to do that and bring that forth and capture also a time in the studio that was where we were at and then, and then give it in two chunks was just a really kind of cool, cool thing to do. Luke, was this a bold decision considering where In Hearts Wake were as a band at that time? I think what was really interesting is just that we were just getting to know each other. We released one record together. After we released that record and before Earthwalker was recorded, um, I came on to actually manage the band. So this is our first project, like, you know, working together on that kind of like level. And when Jake came to me with the idea that they're going to do two albums at once, I was still in that kind of mindset of like, they probably won't do it. You know, like <laughs> he's saying it and it's cool. And, and in my mind, I'm like, write 20 songs. We can just pick the best 10 and put it on the album and it makes it an even better record. So at first it was kind of like, you know, are we going to take this seriously? But I think I remember getting the demos and listening and going, oh, holy shit, there actually is two albums here. Like, this is actually a really good idea. And that was when we got really excited. Jake, take me back to when you pitched the idea to the band and then when you pitched the idea to UNFD. Were these challenging times? Um, I, rem- I remember being at the waterfall, actually, where we shot the film clip for divine which was the lead single i believe for Earthwalker, and it's this really amazing waterfall one of our local ones with a cave behind it and uh ben ben our guitarist who's the main songwriter at the, or was at the time producing most of the material on the guitar front i remember him and i went for a swim and i waited till it was nice and kind of calm like you know we've been for a nice swim we get out of the water i'm like so ben like i've just got this idea you know like what if we like you know pulled this double album thing off and in one in one session and, and he I remember him going like like there was almost a moment of like cool idea but like 
that's fucking hard because we're not even like I might have four or five demos like where we're at. You know, like you're telling me you got to write twenty plus now. Like it was a bit, but it was like cool idea. I won't I won't squash it, but yeah, cool idea. And even in the studio, mind you, there was this safety net knowing shoot for two. Like you know, at the if basically aim for the stars and maybe we'll get the moon. Like just go for it. Yeah, if you if you found that the other fifty percent of the material you recorded was not to the standard that you wanted, you can leave them as B sides. But if they were to the standard you want them, then you could release them as a double album. Was it difficult talking to UNFD about this idea? No, nah, look, Luke, uh, you know, Luke, Luke's always been very supportive. Like he said, like, yeah, go for it. You know, there was an encouragement there for sure. And uh, again, knowing that safety guard, if we, we could always just fall short and, and have the, the hopefully the one great album. But uh, I mean, none of us really thought about it. It's not just coming up with the songs, but then you have to give these children like the love they deserve, which is the music videos, the artwork, which is all doubled. And not to mention like going through the press and then the touring, how do you fit enough tours to get the most out of like, not to get the most out of it, to give the fans the experience and the time to get fall in love with both records at the same time. So that's really, that's, that was sort of the, the realization. Uh, one thing I just found that was really, really fun is once we got into the conceptualization of it and the way it started to become really real was when we were like, all right, so the first record will like hide underneath the, the the tray a lyric booklet to with some of the lyrics to the second record, um, and so people would just get it out and be like, "What the what the hell are the <laughs> lyrics?" In here? But then just for just just to create complete symmetry under then the booklet of the Skydancer record, there was some lyrics for the Earthwalker record, even though that had already come out, just to like add this kind of symmetry. The artwork was going to be the same, but even the records, as you look through the song names and everything. They're like the yin to each other's yang. Everything down the record is great. The artwork's great. So it was once we started to get into those kinds of ideas that it became like, all right, we have to make this work as opposed to yeah. like, maybe we can make this work, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and, and it's worth like, and it's worth running that extra lap, that extra marathon to really deliver something quite special here, even though it might be tiring in the final stretch. So you've got the green light and you go into the studio. Is it harder than you expected to make that double album? 100%. Why? well i think we gave ourselves like i think it was five or six weeks i think we gave ourselves which is you know what about the time we took for divination the first time you know and we wanted to pull off i just looked it up it was actually closer close to about 10 weeks but it looks if i was looking up the dates before it looked like it was about 10 weeks in there or just over two months in the studio i'm pretty sure unless you guys were rehearsing beforehand i'm just looking at calendars (laughs) sure no no it wasn't 10 weeks i know it wasn't 10 weeks doing the most josh has ever done is about eight like honestly so we might have taken six or seven uh to pull it off but yeah we like going past eight weeks is just like you just it's just too much especially in winter so mind you we went over there and it was the heaviest heaviest weather so you're really in hibernation mode like in in this in this space where did you record it so we recorded it's it's not detroit about two hours out of detroit let's just say in michigan usa uh, and again, they get heavy winters. It's basically Canada. Mm. So a lot of times you're snowed in or driving through blizzards. And, um, we just, we came in with, with, I think 16 songs from memory. And we knew that we still wanted to, to write a couple in the studio and still craft it some more. And that we did, but it's one thing bringing in demos and, and performing. It's another thing, writing as well and making sure you're up to that level, that caliber of uh, material. Was there ever a moment where you thought maybe we'd made the wrong decision? 
never for me because I was so committed to it. As hard as it was, I knew that it had to be done. So I just like, yeah, I don't, I didn't know, no, no doubts, but it was definitely a holy crap. This is way harder than I thought. Before we talk about the marketing and some of the imagery for these two albums, can you comment on Nick Pedersen? Honorable mention to Nick Pedersen. What a guy. Ah, uh, so yeah, Nick's the, the, the drummer from North Lane. Um, and we have done many tours with North Lane. And we ran into a really unique situation when we were heading over to Michigan. We had all been over as a band prior to record Divination. But on this second trip to Michigan, we had to fill out our esters. They're like these, you know, passport things. Yeah, to go over and that's right. Yeah. Now, our our drummer, there was a discrepancy with his Esther not clearing somehow. And what happened was right before we got on the plane to go over, there was a shooting in at LAX airport, like a huge shooting in one of the terminals. It happened to be the exact same terminal that we were landing in. And I believe like, you know, there was a couple of people that died. It was a big, big deal, big shooting. And we'd only like the, the, we'd only be just, been given the clear that the terminal is going to be open for when we landed. So the entire LEX was on like the high security doing like triple, triple checks, making sure like every box was ticked. And I just remember like our drummer at the time, Caleb, his, like, he didn't have like something, there was a discrepancy in, in his visa and they weren't even like a, there wasn't even time to ask you a question on a discrepancy. They just would send you back. That's what happened. So basically Caleb was like, Oh yeah, I'll see another side. I just got to like answer a couple of questions. And they basically said to him like, oh, you have, you, you haven't filled this out correctly. It's not all clear. We have to send you back because we're on high security. So next thing, like we didn't know where Caleb was. So we had to go onwards, travel to Detroit, still no sign of Caleb. It had been like three days. And, uh, you know, I remember talking to Luke being like, yeah, that was this- my next question. Luke, are you hearing about this? Are you yeah. <laughs> inheriting this headache? We'd like, yeah, like, I mean, we, we worked out that he'd been sent back to Australia and that we like, then he like had to add, didn't have like a, a phone access. He had to get a bus by himself to get back down to Byron. So like, by the time we got in touch with him, we're freaking out, but we'd also kind of assumed what was happening. And we're just like, all right, let's, let's look at some tour dates. Let's, let's see how we can get a How do we get a fill in drama? How do we make all this work? And that's when we realized that uh, towards the end of the session, um, North lane would be finishing their tour uh i think in toronto or somewhere like that and that it wouldn't be that much of a drive for pete for, for nick to be able to just like land in there and uh and and and, and fill in so so then the, the drums were recorded last i presume yeah and, and that's that was kind of a a new thing for records at the time drums are always recorded first always and we were going to record drums first too but this was like a hang on a second actually if we record drums last it's better because structures then aren't set in stone you can make the drums go in accents of vocals, accents of guitars. And, and that revolutionized the way we record and we recorded drums last ever, you know, ever since. But I will add, little did Nick know that we were like, hey, bro, we've actually got 20 plus songs that you can do. And you've only got, what is it? Six days to record them all. <laughs> Start warming up. When you release Earthwalker, can you take <laughs> us back to that time? The person on the front cover of Earthwalker, is this person supposed to represent Mother Nature? Yeah, it's it's representing the divine feminine. That is that is that is essentially and Mother Earth. You know, it's it's something that I feel we've sort of you know as humanity for the most part has forgotten who the mother is and that we have more in common than you know we do apart and that we all share this earth. So we really wanted to try and embody that in a piece of art 
that was alive. And the more we can actually humanize nature, the more we actually start to see ourselves within it and realize, oh, we're nature too. And so this was this like, how can we bring this forth? Also, without it being a piece of art that is, isn't, isn't so far new age that people are going to be like, is this a joke? So that was a bit of a challenge, but I really feel like we, we um, weave that into the art. So was there any particular way of marketing the release of Earthwalker? Luke, it'd be great to get your opinion on this too. Was there any, any innovative ways that you marketed the album when you released it? We had a lot of fun with this one. Um, this was the, the first record and, and also it really wasn't the done thing, but uh, for every pre-order that was sold and for every vinyl package that was sold, we planted a tree. Um, so that was the first, the first uh, bit of information that we put out there and the first bit of marketing that got a really, really great response. Everyone was really, really excited by that. Um, and, and then we kind of tied that in a little bit further by making a, a Space Invaders-style game. So we played like an, an arcade game. And so we had Tony Abbott, who was the Prime Minister of Australia at the time, had been talking about, he'd been saying all kinds of like ridiculous stuff about the environment and how wind farms look ugly and we should bulldoze as many like forests, like crazy ass stuff. Like, so we ended up creating the, the guys as like little, uh, little squirrels that were throwing peanuts. And it was like he had stopped Tony Abbott's bulldozers from chopping down the forest. Um, so we did that. And, and, and if you got a certain high score, it would unlock whole bunch of new music for fans and stuff like that so we tied that in and then at the end kind of said and if you want to plant more trees you know here's yeah. a link. you can go pre-order the record so i was really proud of that that was so much fun like i think you know we that was the first time we ever created a video game and and i think everyone really appreciated it i yeah, doubt we, you'll know but do you know how many trees were planted uh, ended up being about two and a half, three thousand trees, I, I believe, at the time. Um, should actually mention that also one kid ended up hacking the video game <laughs> and gave, gave themselves a high score of like you know ten times what anybody else was because there was a prize pack involved. So uh, kudos to that person for caring enough to hack a video game that we made. So you put out Earthwalker. How was it received, Jake? I think it blew our expectations away. To be honest with you, our previous record, Divination. Uh, you know, hit number 27 on the ARIA charts, which is just like unheard of for, for us, uh, let alone being a metal band or a hardcore band, we even call it. But, uh, you know, with Earthwalker, it, 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 it peaked, uh, debuted at number five, which was uh, like we had a top five record all of a sudden. And I, w- I remember seeing like there was like some sort of a, a Channel 9 like talk show or something and they had even like music posters in the background i remember seeing an earthwalker poster in the background and it like some of the songs appeared on home and away it was just i think the nrl the nrl started using started using your music too yeah so like it's just like all these such new territory and and really just like really cool so we we had no expectations other than to just take the next step but it feels almost like we jumped a couple of steps and released something that uh, was received really well First ever Triple J ad as well, which I think was for the title track Earthwalker. Um, it wasn't even a proper ad; it was like a, a spot ad kind of thing where they would they would play it a little bit. Um, and the other big one was the Blunt cover, um, which I, which is another really big thing. And not many Australian bands, apart from Amity and Parkway, maybe a couple more, had ever been on the cover. And so we dressed the guys up as hippies. Um, the the editor at the time was like. It was basically like we told her we told her the idea, which was to uh, to dress the guys up as hippies and make it really kind of funny and take the piss a little bit. And she was like, "All right, that's a cover. That's a great <laughs> idea." Little, little do they know we're going to dress up in my mom's old clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Current clothes or old clothes? No, definitely old clothes. We had. <laughs> we, we, I remember pulling it, pulling it down. Like you know, the, it's like the 
the kind of the letting go bag. Like yeah. that was like, oh, and I remember like these purple flares came out and I was like, no way, this, these have to make the cover and they did. So now we've only got one year between the release of Earthwalker and the release of Skydancer. 12 months is not a long time. Tell me about what's happening in between the release of Earthwalker and Skydancer. A lot of touring, to be fair. You know, we wanted to get this record as far and wide as possible. And we did know that we had 12 months to do it before there'd be a new refresh. So we really, really went for it. Uh, and I, th- I think it was like our first time really getting over to America as well, you know, within that time. Uh, we did uh, like Soundwave was in that year too that it came out. So Soundwave, we were in the UK. Um, we've first ever Unify. Yeah, we squeezed in Unify. Yeah, totally. Unify, and that was a big incredible moment sharing with like the core fan base of australia there at unify it was really seminal experience man with and that all the bands backstage it was a beautiful moment were you trolling your audience at times too in between the period of the release of those two albums uh well no one really ever asked the question or do you have more material to release like it's not something that was even expected so there was no need to even have to lie about it but yeah (laughs) But we did say we have a new single and it was actually like we released it on April Fool's. Don't tell them about that single, man. What was that one? Well, the thing is at that point, <laughs> at that point we had announced, at that point we had announced uh, the next record was coming, right? Yeah. So we'd announced there's a new album coming, you know, this is March of the next year. And, but you know, what song is it going to be? So April Fool's comes around. And we decided to mash together a live video from Unify. The Shreds video. The yeah. Shreds video. I think we were, we were a bit too inspired by Creed's Shreds. And yeah. shreds. So, so our guitarist had a lot of fun just overdubbing. <laughs> exactly. It's, 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 almost, it's almost cringeworthy watching it now. But we had a lot of fun with it. And there was a lot of people like, what the, what, what the fuck is this? Like, what am I watching? Like, I want, I want three minutes of my life back. But we had a good funny. laugh. I'll tell you something funny though, like because that was the first ever Unify, and so we fil- we got camera people out just to film this so that we could mess with it, right? Uh, but what it ended up, everyone's response to it was, "Could you guys just do this properly?" And that's how we actually ended up starting doing proper live videos from Unify. Was yeah. because obviously people were like, "Can you not just do the fucked up one? Can you do a real one?" So that was really good. So was top, yeah. Brown, so rice, brown rice tuna and salad was the other fake release the year before, which was like a, a, a small little diddly pop song that the guys released that we pretended was new music as well. So, <laughs> so it's now time to release Sky Dancer and legitimately no shredding, no tuna. It's time to release Sky Dancer. You've spoken about how it wasn't too hard to conceal the material because nobody asks, hey, have you got more material after releasing an album? So talk to us about how you were able to keep it a secret from the from your audience and how this how the announcement worked. Sure. Well the the only thing that we did have to not I don't say lie about, but but obviously say, you know, you'll find out soon, was when someone actually dropped the Earthwalker C D and all the pieces like scattered outwards. And it revealed that little cipher uh, piece of paper that had lyrics to a new song. And so they were like, what are these words? Like, I don't get it. But again, no one expected, like, why would you, like, how could there be another album coming out so soon? So it wasn't the question that was asked, but it was like, what the hell is this? And so maybe, yeah, a few people discovered that. And so we just had to say, you'll see, basically, uh, Mm. and keep my lips sealed. 
then yeah a year later the album drops out of nowhere and the artwork was from the same artist of the same concept and the artwork actually if you lay it above earthwalker it actually fits it the skyline fits it was part of this whole like conceptual piece that we had planned so i think it was really received really well because again our fans fell in love with the first record so they got more of of that but in a whole new light and luckily you know it, it worked to our advantage because if the first record sucked and the second one would have sucked as well so it comes out it's on the first of may um was there a particular reason why you chose that date well yeah it's a, a year later exactly to, yeah yeah be exactly a year later and uh we'd, we'd been on tour with uh the ghost inside stick to your guns and develop some incredible relationships there and so we asked vigil um you know vigil would you like to because he really loved Earthwalker record, particularly Afterglow. Every time I see him, he's like, play Afterglow, man, play Afterglow. Like he just always wants that track. So when I said, hey, man, we've actually, you know, I remember actually how I revealed it to him backstage at one of the shows. I was like, you see this record? And I opened it up and I popped out the thing and I showed him and he's like, what's that? And I said, it's just over the next record we're sitting on. He's like, what? Yeah. It's like, he's like, dude, that is so cool. I'm like, Vigil, I want you to, I'd love for you to, to do like a guest vocal on, you know, on the next record. And he's like, dude i'd be honored to like i'd love to and so that's how that one came about vigil on skydancer i feel very privileged to have that beautiful dude and beautiful band to be friends with those guys and that was a really a highlight of skydancer same as i asked when you released earthwalker how was it received really well uh yeah really well it was it was kind of we had this i guess you call it momentum but it was hard to take a breath within it because we were just like going with this 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 plan and, and riding the river not knowing really what's around the corner but we know that we want to keep keep moving this this boat essentially and so yeah like it, that tour was huge like we played the sky dancer tour and it rolled into that and that was a big big experience so luke you're managing this juggernaut what are you noticing upon the release of what is now the double album um well, what was really interesting is that usually a band goes on tour and you have them on tour for 12 months and then you start sort of winding them back from the road because you want to start recording the next record. But we didn't have to do that. We had a band that was able to do, you know, I think they spent all of February and March in the tour in the US. We stick to your guns. Start of March, they do a self-help festival and we announced this tour. Uh, sorry, we announced this record. Straight on, They go straight on the road with the ghost inside for another couple of months afterwards. Just really, on the one hand, that's really, really refreshing because there's not this kind of momentum, downtime, momentum, downtime. On the other hand, you start to kind of worry about the band's mental health almost because they're playing like 150, 200 shows a year in like, you know, 20 different countries. And meanwhile, having to get back to you on, on, on video proofs and artwork proofs and all that kind of stuff, marketing concepts and so, um, so yeah, the main thing I was noticing was just that everything's building, but the band's also working their asses off and, and taking every opportunity they can. Um, but, uh, you know, this, again, like just from an industry perspective, this was their first Triple J feature album. This was the first time that really overseas we started to see some real proper momentum, you know, like, uh, sort of like everything selling out the day we put it up, all that kind of stuff, all those kinds of things. And, um, you know, blunt cover, but then also like a whole bunch more co like covers and magazines, Kerrang, Rock Sound, or AP. Everyone just started to take notice of the band. So it's just a really, it's a really memorable and exciting time for me and, and I'm sure for Jake as well. Luke mentioned he wanted to, I suppose, keep an eye or, you know, be reticent of 
the health, mental health of the band, considering their schedule was so unusual releasing a double album. Jake, can you take us back to that time? Were you handling it? Were the band handling it okay? Mentally, I think we're handling it really well. Physically, like, of course, it's, it's tiring sleeping upright in vans and, and on the, all these big support tours, you know, be it Parkway Drive America and stuff, you, you, can't, really, you can't be on a tour bus. You have to be in a van and the, the schedules are so hectic. Uh, night after night with 10 hour drives so that you have to sleep upright in a little van fitting all your gear in it yeah. so that sort of stuff definitely like builds up but it felt like the, we knew our vision like that we wanted to really bring this it was almost bigger than ourselves and so with with that carrying us forward it didn't feel aimless like it felt it felt right still and we were at an age i think you know 23 to 25 where like we had a lot of we're in, you know, you know, a lot of energy, a lot of prime. It was like it's where we wanted to be. Was there a storm that coincided with the release of Sky Dancer too? Yeah, the elements couldn't, ele- couldn't write this shit. Yeah, I know you couldn't. <laughs> the elements definitely always have a huge yeah play in our records. So Earth ironically, Wars, it's um, ironically yeah <laughs> yeah. So you know we perhaps called upon Sky Dancer a little a little too much in this record, and a huge storm actually hit the warehouse. Like I think it was the I don't know the Sony BNG warehouse, Luke. I don't, don't know the name of it, but a big warehouse where all <laughs> the stock was being held to go out to all the stores, and like the roof actually like split open, and like water flooded in, and it ruined like just so so many CDs, not just ours, but like including Mumford and Sons, and hopefully the Frozen soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's a good soundtrack, <laughs> but it it uh it just tore through. So it, it leveled the playing field, but the storms definitely, you know, came in there. And it the good, the cool thing was, is, you know, like we were able to share that story. This is what's happened. And we're met with such support still that a fan's like, oh, we'll get it however we can. Like, you know, we'll support the record. And, uh, you know, mid, the midweeks came through. Not that, you know, not the numbers of the be all or end all, but I remember hearing the uh, Mumford and Sons manager, like somehow asking UNFD, like, who is this in Hearts Wake van? Because they're right behind us, and like they're really concerned <laughs> about their number one record. And uh, you know, folk folk does stand strong, and they end up getting the number one record as as predicted. But you know, we never had a never had a number two record. It was yeah. huge for us. Yeah. In those tours supporting both albums, are there any moments or memories that you cherish the most? I think off the top of my head, playing that sold out Roundhouse show on the Skydancer tour with supports like Beartooth and We Came As Romans, like bands that kind of grew up listening to, supporting us, and seeing all the shows that took place at that venue and then being able to take that stage and have my yeah, dad... Well. Yeah, 2,200 tickets, which was pretty, uh, pretty epic. Um, we didn't expect to sell it out necessarily, but it was a really special moment there. Yeah, and having, like, having my dad... My dad was there up on the balcony and he just lost his mother, I remember. Like, it was a big... Like, my grandma... And it was like a culmination of us playing a song. I remember dedicating one to her. And it was just this really, like, I really like, I remember checking into the moment. It just felt like just the crowd were all in this synergy. And that was a, like a whoa, a taking stock moment for sure. I said yeah. at the start of this podcast that no one would ever listen to the Earthwalker and Sky Dancer albums the same ever again. We've talked about the storms. We've talked about the process of writing these songs. What I'd like to know is, Jake, if you can leave us with something, Tell us more about who is the Earthwalker and who is the Sky Dancer. Are these people or are these composites of values and ideals? 
Tell us more about who that person is. I don't know if it's who. I would say it's more what the energies are themselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, what is it? What is the earth walker? What is the sky dancer? I, I feel like I got to experience those two energies in a, in a, like in a quite uh, a separate way, having my, you know, my parents be uh, sort of split up from a young age and have my dad be just absolutely in the masculine city world, like totally in Sydney that my mom's living up in Byron Bay, you know, pretty emotional and just being a mother, like being a wonderful mother in her own power too. And they're both in their power, but feeling those two energies and realizing this whole concept of yin and yang and that they're not separate, but there, there is a splash of color, you know, the white and the black in both. And the more I got to learn to the yin and yang, the more I could see that it's not about men are men and women are women. We actually have these two divine energies within ourselves. So it's all about, yeah, bringing it into balance. And, uh, you know, the, the, the human world's definitely gone off on this patriarchal masculine way because men, uh, you know, have, have had some sort of a dominance in politics and in places of power. And it's sort of, it's basically shifted it in ways that are not, are not sustainable and not healthy. And we really seeing a resurgence in women being totally, uh, Need, needing to have much more of a say in a voice because they're much more, for the most part, in touch with the feminine. So these two energies in Earthwalk and Skydancer, we wanted to really play what, what were they and how we can bring them into balance. So that's, that's really what Earthwalk and Skydancer is and realizing we are a duality within ourselves. So Jake, do you have any other interesting anecdotes or memories from the release of this duality that you'd like to share? Well, I think being on tour in America for such a long time, we went... Uh, from a tour with Amity and Stick to Your Guns right into a Ghost Inside tour. And we've been away from home for about six, seven, eight weeks, I think now. And we've, we'd already done a lap of America and we're going to do another lap of America. Being away from home for that long, sleeping in a van upright, we were just really taken under the wing of the Ghost Inside. And I just remember this, such a fond memory with those guys where they actually surprised us by booking us like a hotel room at a Formula One. And, uh, just like buying us dinner, just like being the most incredible hosts. And they didn't need to do that. You know, they didn't, they just, just did it from the kindness of their hearts. So really, really giving beautiful people. And that just deepened our relationship with that band for sure. And following that tour with them, we had this mission to get our next Blunt cover photo shoot. And how could we basically... It's pretty hard to outdo the hippies because we've done the hippies one, but what, how could we expand upon that? So we came up with this idea just to be cowboys in the desert. That was the closest <laughs> thing that we could do. We thought it'd be funny to see Ben in a cowboy hat. So we hunted down a ranch and like where we could get into Western gear. And we took Kane here, who's an incredible, uh, I guess you call him a prolific photographer. You know, he's a, he's, he's a yeah, he's, he's done the rounds, beautiful guy. And he met us in LA and he traveled with us for a few days through the desert, through Death Valley, getting these photos until we eventually found our ranch in Western gear. <laughs> we did this incredible photo shoot where we're holding like, yeah, fully in character. It's, it's quite a lot. Around a campfire with a oh. horse in it. There's a horse in it. We got a horse onto the cover of Blunt magazine. <laughs> we take things way too far. And was there something with Slipknot too? Yeah. So all, all the tours and the, the incredible duality cycle I think it must have amounted in 500 plus shows, but it came to a right at the end before we went into the next record. It uh, hit kind of an all time 
crescendo or climax, I guess, by uh, going on tour with Slipknot. And being on tour with a band like Slipknot, who you've grown up listening to, and playing before Lamb of God was just an experience that it's, it's hard to really put into words other than to say, looking over to the left when you're playing on stage and seeing Corey Taylor stand there with a drink bank, like, mind you, it was an alcoholic-free drink. Yeah, he, he's off the yeah. drinks. I was yeah. about to say that. Yeah, yeah. no, he's, he was off the drinks. He's off the drinks. He's just sitting there just like grooving into it, butt bobbing his head. You're like, oh shit, like don't fuck up. You know, <laughs> it was a bit of a reality check and he was digging it and just really nice to us backstage. I love the, 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 the more shows you play, and the bigger the the festivals or whatnot, you start to realize that these people that we, you know, idolize or put up on a platform, they're just human. They're just human, regular, normal dudes, and that is such a a wonderful gift you get to see as you as you do this. And did this duality influence the music that came afterwards, in particular, Ark and your most recent release? Yeah, it's like circumnavigating the globe more and more. The world is just becomes. like it's a big place but it's a damn small place too and you start to see like diversity we have to celebrate diversity we have so much in common and we are all on this ship together is is just felt like we're on this this globe moving through space like what a miracle and that then really bled into this concept of what what unites us all is 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 the waters within us and we all share it upon this this ship this ark and that that there led us into the next record yeah of water and then here we are now on a journey of fire, Kaliuga, when the bush <laughs> when the bushfires take off and everything else is going. So we've we've come through the elements and we're somehow alive on the other side. And who knows what's next. Before I let you go, Luke, and before I let you go, Jake, are we going to be celebrating this duality in a fresh or in a um, revitalized way in 2021? Yeah, well, we we're obviously going to be doing the um the the vinyl represses of both of these records and it, and it felt like a really good place to start to 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 start within Hunts Wake since it was um just last year we we released Caliuga on completely eco friendly vinyl and developed the kind ah. of technology behind doing this with Jake and the band so we'll be kicking off by doing Earthwalker and Skydancer as separate vinyl packages um the guy's going to be doing a, a couple of shows at, at Crowbar. Um, as well that week it's all during earth week which is really good tie-in kind of thing Terrific, yeah we'll be releasing a, a couple of, of limited edition bottles of wine that kind of reflect some of the energy of, of each of the records as well just to sort of tie everything in there um, so that should be that should be a lot of fun it's a beautiful sentiment and congratulations on the duality jake which i think for the age of your band and i think the way people consume music at this time it's a really bold move and I'm so happy that you were able to do it because having listened to it over the last few days before speaking to you, I feel like it's one of the last album or albums that is really designed to be listened to from start to finish, even with the interludes, because you're right, your band is able to create this, this energy, this sonic energy, which you can feel. So I want to thank you for reminiscing some of the, some of the moments and memories making this duality. And Luke, of course, from a, a different perspective, appreciate your time on UNFD, the official podcast, talking about these, these two amazing albums. And I look forward to the, the repress of the vinyls. All the vinyl is going to be on sale on the 22nd of April, um, which, is, which is Earth Day. Um, and then the guys will be playing those Crowbug shows on the, the 23rd, 23rd and 24th uh, of April as well down in Sydney. Jake Taylor of In Hearts Wake. 
Luke Logerman of UNFD, thank you for being on UNFD, the official podcast. Thanks, Nashi. Thanks, Ted. Jake, Luke, thank you guys so much for joining me here on the official UNFD podcast. And thank you to these two people. Words by Matt Doria and produced by Abby Lou Key. And to everyone out there listening, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back with another episode in a few weeks alongside the second volume in UNFD's 10th anniversary vinyl series. The only question that remains is what album we'll be celebrating next. Feel free to hit the comment section to guess what that album will be if you need a little hint. We already dropped one hint at the start of this episode, but here's another. The album came out in 2016 and it was an absolute banger. For now, of course, you can cop this beautiful new pressing of Earthwalker and Skydancer from 2400 or unfdstore.com as well as some limited edition In Hearts Wake merchandise. Take care, stay safe, and in the words of In Hearts Wake, bloom like a wildflower. Infinite.